This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hey, thanks so much for being here today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. We have a very special guest with us today. You are not going to want to miss this episode. I do want to let you know that we're going to continue our series on Roman Catholicism next week, um, but today we wanted to have Dr. Clay Jones on our show because his new book just came out. We want to make you aware of it and get you excited about the things that he's doing and what he's been writing about. Uh, Dr. Clay Jones holds a Doctor of Ministry from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He's an Associate Professor in the Master of Christian Apologetics at Talbot School of Theology. Uh, formerly uh, was under Biola, but now it's under Talbot. He has hosted Contend for Truth, a nationally syndicated call-in talk radio program where he debated professors, radio talk show hosts, cultists, religious leaders, and representatives from animal rights, abortion rights, gay rights, and atheist organizations. So Clay has done a lot. He also was the CEO of the Simon Greenleaf University, now it's the Trinity Law School, and was a pastor on staff of two large churches. Clay is also the chairman of the board for Ratio Christi, which is a uh, apologetics ministry on college campuses. He's a contributing writer for the Christian Research Journal and specializes in issues related to why God allows evil. Clay has authored the book, Why Does God Allow Evil? Compelling Answers for Life's Toughest Questions, and his newest book, Immortal, How the how the fear of death drives us and what we can do about it. In addition to that, Clay is also my friend and he is a mentor to me and he has just been a big influence on my life through his writings and through his teaching and through his friendship. So Clay Jones, thank you so much for being here. We're excited about this interview today. A pleasure to be with you, Robbie. Thank you. Well, hey, um, as we get started, uh, you've been on our show before, uh, and we, we talked about a lot of great stuff, but um, we always ask our guests if they enjoy coffee, and we know you do because you've already told it to us on That's our right. last uh, last show, but are you still drinking coffee? Are you still enjoying the best I'm beverage? Drink- In fact, I've got, oh. I've got coffee right here in front of me. <laughs> That's what I, I like. Am- I'll wait. I'm going to drink it. Yep, there it is. I got mine and, too. Right and here. let me just be clear here: I drink it black. Yeah, no good. sugar, no cream. That's the way you drink coffee. <laughs> that's the way God it intended it. Yep, I love yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, hey, we're just really grateful that you're here today. Thanks so mm-hmm. much for for everything you've done, and we really want to talk to you about this new book that just came out. So, what led you, Clay, into writing this new book? Well, you know, it's funny. I I was. Uh, reading a book by a philosopher named Luke Ferry, a Paris philosopher named Luke Ferry, and it was very interesting to me because he said something, I'm reading along just in the introduction of his book, he said, and I'll quote him, he says, the quest for salvation without God is at the heart of every great philosophical system, and that is its essential and ultimate objective. And when I first read that, I'm I'm not kidding you, I was shocked. I was blown away. I was like, what? I, I'm you know, I, I have a BA in philosopher, philosophy, which does not a philosopher make. I get it. Uh, but I've never heard that. And so I started reading. I went, really? So the, the goal of philosophy is to help people learn how to die? So I was off. And I thought, well, let's. how do people handle death? Mm-hmm. And so I started reading the works of anthropologists, psychologists, sociologists, philosophers, and other, other kinds of philosophers. And indeed, this is, especially now, uh, psychology, anthropology, sociology, the social sciences have really adopted the idea that the major thing driving humankind is their fear of death. That's the major thing driving them. Hmm. 
And uh, and I think that that's right. And I so so anyway, that's what. And once I realized that, I was off. The book yeah. was on its way, as far as I was concerned. I've never had anything fall that I thought just like fell in my lap like this did, where it was like, I'm on. We're gonna we're gonna write a book on how people fear death and what they're doing about it. Yeah, and how to handle it properly too, right? Yes, absolutely. No, that's true. That's great. Well, how much do you think people really fear their own death? <laughs> well. I'll tell you, I, there's a quote by uh, these three psychologists that wrote a book, uh, psychologists at, psychology professors at different universities, uh, and uh, they wrote a book entitled The Worm at the Core, on, and that's about, and the worm at the core is the fact that we know we're going to die, that's at our core of our existence. Okay. And uh, they, they put it this way, they said, if we were in regular awareness of apprehension of the fact that we were going to die, mm -hmm. we would be quivering bags of protoplasm completely <laughs> profused with anxiety and unable to function in our in our everyday lives. I think that's true. Wow. I think that's I think that's absolutely true. If people are faced with the fact that I'm going to die, but most people, Robbie, and this is the interesting thing, most people, if you ask them, if you say to them, are you afraid of death? Most people say no. In fact, they'll proclaim it. Hmm. Uh, they'll go, no, I'm not afraid of death. No, I'm not. Uh, they'll just proclaim it straight out like that. Uh, and, and and as I put in the book, I say, and they're not uh, they're not being entirely dishonest mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, because they don't think about their deaths. Okay. Uh, they don't think about their deaths at all. They don't, not at all. <laughs> uh, they will admit in the abstract, they'll go, yeah, I'm going to die. Sure, we're all going to die. But then they go off to happily not thinking about their deaths and then we tell ourselves lies about how we're not going to die. Or we, you know, I've got a quote, one more quote. Yeah. Julia, Julia Louis Dreyfus. Oh, yeah. Uh, Seinfeld, uh, Veep actress, won just, she won an Emmy for Veep. The next morning after she wins an Emmy for Veep, she says that she got a call from her doctor saying that she had breast cancer. And oh. immediately, right away, she was crying hysterically. And she says, you know, she says, once you've gone through a life-threatening illness, there's this little nagging thing with you all the time. That fear doesn't completely go away because you've been face-to-face -face with it. She says, you, we walk through our lives oblivious to the fact that our lives are going to end. We don't really consider that ever, almost ever. But it's a cold, hard fact. And I think, see, that's, that's, what, I, that's what most people are doing. I think she summed up what most people are doing. Mm -hmm. She says, until you're face to face with it, the people are, will tell you, "I know I'm not afraid of death." Until they find a lump somewhere, sure, or they or they have a heart chest pain, mm -hmm. or they get a positive back on uh, on a blood test, and then the fear of death stands in front of them, and it won't leave the room. I mean, it's mm. there, and they're stuck with it. And so, yeah, people are afraid of death. But not only that, uh, Hebrews tells us in Hebrews two fourteen and fifteen that Jesus came to destroy him who has the power of death mm. so that he could free those who all their lives were held in bondage by a lifelong fear of death. Notice that scripture says that, that everyone is held in bondage by a lifelong fear of death. Those only accepted, those only accepted who have a robust view of eternal life in Jesus. Everyone else is held in bondage by a fear of death. There's no escaping it. You cannot get away from it. But people try, and like I say, they tell themselves lots of lies, which I know we're going to get into in a minute. Sure. But they tell themselves all kinds of lies about the nature of reality so that they don't fear death. Just to avoid the, the fear of it, just to avoid the reality yes. of what's just coming. To avoid the fa facing their extinction. 
Okay. And so in, in your book, you write that the fear of death drives people. And is that, is that what you're meaning by this, that they're in bondage to this and that's what's driving them, even though they're kind of ignoring it? They're ignoring it, but it's, it's scratching as uh, an atheist psychiatry professor at Stanford University, Irving Yalom put it, it says, it's always scratching. The fear of death is always scratching at some inner door. Okay. It never leaves us alone. So you, the fact that you're pushing it out of your mind and trying to ignore it uh, is the fact that it really does scare you, but then it's driving your behavior because you know it's there. You know <laughs> that your extinction, you know your extinction's coming, yeah. not maybe, not kind of, you know, the old you know, death and taxes things. Well, guess what? You may die. But one thing that you and I know about each other and everyone else that's listening or watching Robbie is uh, we know you only know one thing about yourself for sure. And that's that in, for your sure in your future. And that is you're going to die. Yes. That's the only thing, you know, ab you may not have time to pay taxes again, but you're <laughs> sooner or later, you might die before you can pay taxes again, but you're going to yeah. die. And that's everybody's dealing with this. They don't want to admit it. They don't want to deal with it. And yeah. it, but it drives almost everything people do. Man, that is fascinating. And so um, now we've had a, a lot of conversations about this when I've come out to California and, and met and even over Skype. But you, you talk about in your book, uh, immortality projects. Can you explain yes. like what, what is this idea of an immortality project? What is that and how does that relate to this conversation? Everyone on earth, uh, and by the way, secular psychologists, uh, like, like for instance, Irving Yalom, those professor of psychiatry at Stanford, mm -hmm. uh, anthropologists uh, like Ernest Becker, uh, sociologists like uh, Zygmunt Bauman, mm -hmm. they all say that this drives all of human behavior. Now, I think as a Christian that humans are more uh, complex than that, but I think it's close that it drives all of human behavior. And the, one, what it does is when is everybody in the world, everyone in the world is got some sort of an immortality project. And by that, I mean, and I didn't coin that phrase. In fact, other okay. psychologists, and I think it was Ernest Becker in 1974 coined it. Oh, wow. uh, everybody has an immortality project where they're doing something that they hope is going to transcend their death. Oh. And so there's there's literal immortality projects uh, that people are literally trying to live forever. Hmm. And then there's symbolic immortality projects where people are trying to do something uh, that sim will symbolically go on forever. For instance, having kids is a symbolic immortality project. Okay. Uh, writing a book, uh, a creative piece of art, uh, doing, engaging in activism, social activism. Okay, so I'm, and, I'm familiar with, so the symbolic is kind of, when I think of, even with our conversations previously <clears throat> about immortality projects, <clears throat> symbolic ones are the ones like I usually think about. It's, it's leaving a legacy, leaving art, leaving a play, doing something right. that will last after I'm gone, that'll outlive me. So right. the symbolic immortality projects, that totally makes sense to me. What do you mean by literal immortality projects? Because that's that's a that's fascinating yeah. to me. That's a totally different thing than I'd ever conceive of. Yeah. Well, you know, most people, if you ask people, are you literally trying to live forever? I think the overwhelming majority of people go, no, of course not. Nobody can live sure. forever. But what the hope is, what the hope is that they're going to live a long time, long enough 
where science is going to do what science was always supposed to do, and that is heal everything that ails us, and then we're going to literally live forever. Uh, I'll give you just uh, an example. Uh, the first president of Facebook, Sean Parker, he said, because I'm a billionaire, I'm going to have better access to healthcare than everyone else, than most people. He says, and as a result, he says, I'm going to live to 100, probably live to 160 and then go on and live and be an immortal overlord. See, oh. he's actually, see, he says, you know, this is not a quack joke. Well, it's kind of quacky to say that, frankly. But anyway, that's beside yeah. the point. But, this, <laughs> you know, his first first president of Facebook, I'm, I'm going to live to 160 and maybe forever. David Asprey the founder of Bulletproof Coffee. There you go. Oh, there we go. The yeah. There it is. There it is. <laughs> the founder of Bulletproof Coffee is hoping to live forever. He's intending wow. to live forever. Uh, he says, well, his number is, I'm going to live to 180. Okay. Uh, think about 180. And then, of course, again, these people hope that, that you know, and then science is going to figure this out and we're going to just keep going on and on and on. And how, so that's, how, do they, how do they think this is possible? Hmm. Through through medicine and science and that, that's, yes. that's well, where the David hope is? Asked, David Asprey has his uh, uh, cells, his t what is it? I can't remember exactly what they're called. It's a particular type of cell, but he has them extracted from his spinal cord and injected into his various joints. Oh, okay. uh, he, 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 he sits in a cryotherapy chamber. Uh, he gets in all kinds, he does a, a whole, eats a very, you know, takes a hundred supplements a day and on and on and on. In other words, wow. uh, and that's the hope is if I, all these supplements, uh, and and doing all these things, if I do this, uh, that I'm going to live for a very long time, and hopefully, like I say, then coast on uh, to immortality, because I'll, then science will be doing what it do. But that's not going to work. It's not. It's, yeah. it's not going to work because. Uh, go ahead. Well, yeah, it just doesn't seem like they can be very successful. No. Right. I mean, well, like, how, how does the, that even work? People have, here's what's happened is people ha have misunderstood uh, life expectancy, for instance. Okay. It's true. At the turn of the 20th century, life expectancy was only 49 years old at the turn oh. of the 20th century. Well, now at the turn of the 21st century, in the 21st century, it's 78 and a half years old uh, is life expectancy. So people go, well, see, we've doubled our life expectancy. So this is going to keep happening. Oh, okay. uh, not so fast. Uh, that's not true. It, it what's happened is the only reason that life expectancy is is doubled or almost doubled is because of infant mortality being tremendously reduced. Oh. Uh, that's that's why uh, you had so many infants that died of infections with antibiotics. Mm -hmm. uh, we've increased that. But so not since the turn of the 20th century, once you got past, say, childhood mm -hmm. and you didn't die of an infection when you were a little kid, once you got past childhood, uh, life expectancy hasn't increased more than a year wow. uh, since the turn of the 20th century. <laughs> That's kind of an uh, important so people, statistic. Yeah, it is. <laughs> people go, oh, see, we've doubled our life expectancy. No. no, no, we really haven't. You know, by the way, here's a fact that I love uh, that I mentioned in the book. People see they have this unwarranted optimism. They say, well, one day they're going to cure every form of cancer. Well, a demographer, a Harvard demographer, Nathan Kiefitz, calculate. This is a calculation. Mm -hmm. This is not an estimate. This is a calculation. This is hard, cold numbers. And you can look it up. I quote them in my book. Okay. Uh, if they cured every form of cancer in the world, every single one of them, bar none, the average American would only live 2.265 years longer. Wow. So that doesn't take care of our problem. It's 
it's not going to do it. There's yeah. if you don't, and what's the trouble? If you don't die of cancer, you're going to die pretty soon of something else. Yeah. And what and what kind of state is your mind going to be in? Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of a bunch of demigods, you're going to be have a nursing homes full of people <laughs> that have half their heads, yeah. half their brains working, a lot of them anyway, and they're not going to be glorious immortal demigods. It's it, it, this isn't anyway. It's just not going to happen. Well, now there are people who would say, well, I agree with you. First of all, yeah, it seems very far-fetched that that could ever happen but there are people who are who are seeking out how they can upload their brains right to the interwebs the internet and how they can so they're they're seeking that as an immortality project where i can outlive my physical death by taking my brain online that's right geeking out is a a good word for it because really (laughs) it's kind of a it's a geeky thing to do by the way it's interesting because just this last friday Amazon came out with a show entitled Upload, and it's about it's about a guy whose mind whose mind is uploaded, uh, and now he lives in a virtual world. Really, I didn't uh, know that. And so, well, now you know. Yeah. Uh, and and there's all kinds of movies and stuff on this that you're going to be able to, able to upload your brain. That I, I, if if you're out there, if you're a geeky person and you're out there thinking that's going to happen, that's not going to happen ever. <laughs> And one of the things is, first of all, David Chalmers of New York University, a neuroscientist, he says, we have no idea what consciousness is. We don't know how a machine could become conscious. He says, now he's hoping actually that we will be able to do it, but he says, but we, ha- we don't have any understanding of it at all. Yeah. But see, if I was an, a materialist, if I believe that nature was all there is and that we were just material stuff mm-hmm. and that we became conscious, I'd go, well, if we can become conscious and we're just material stuff, then surely uh, a machine could become conscious and so we could put our consciousness in a machine. Well, I got news for you. Uh, This is a philosophical issue. This is a metaphysical issue. This is not a scientific issue. Um, uh, We, you and I, believe that we're not just physical stuff. Yes. That you you and I believe that we have a soul and that's what's conscious. Uh, And you can't upload something immaterial into a machine. I'm <laughs> yeah. sorry. It's not going to work. A bunch of zeros and ones, no matter how fast they're moving, it's not going to be consciousness. Well, it's not going to work. I go through a lot of other reasons why it won't work, but it's just not going to work. Yeah. And don't you think that that's like a, mis- a misconception that a lot of people have is that uh, a computer is like our brain or our brain is like a computer and that's a materialistic view of it, but there isn't code in my brain. My memory is not in my brain. It's somewhere else. It's in my that's soul. Right. That's right. And so that's, that's the distinction. Right. You can't upload a metaphysical thing onto a physical platform. Um, but like you said, if we were materialists, we'd have to assume that you could because matter is all it's that possible. there is. Yeah, sure. sure. Yeah, it's because matter is all. You know, it's funny. One of the things that I do in my book is I talk about how stupid computers really are. And I think that <laughs> takes a lot of people by surprise because don't get me wrong. Computers can do math way better than I can, to say the least. Sure. They can do a lot of calculations way better than I could ever, ever, ever do it. But computers don't have a kind of intelligence that humans have, and they're never going to get that. Mm-hmm. And I love—I gave a lot of examples. I'll just give two real quick. If uh, if you said to a 10-year-old, if you said, uh, Juliet is the sun, uh, a computer couldn't understand that at all. Would have no idea because the most the two things that we know most about the sun is it's 93 million miles from Earth and it's largely gaseous. Okay. Uh, we don't mean that Juliet is 93 miles million miles from Earth and largely gaseous, but we know wow she lights up my life. See, it doesn't understand metaphors. Uh, if you said uh, you know Sally is a block of ice, 
anybody. If I, you and I said that to anyone in America, the Sally's a block of ice, they'd immediately know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. uh, a computer will never understand it. Never. I'll give you one more. Uh, uh, President Trump is in Washington right now. Where's his left leg? A computer has no idea. It does not know where <laughs> you would have to specifically program it such that uh, whenever Trump is in, wherever President Trump goes, his left leg goes too. You would have to specifically instruct it that otherwise, and left hand and left ever. I mean, you'd have to specifically instruct it. See, people think that, yeah, well, one day they're going to start doing. No, no, they're not. Yeah. Th there is a kind of intelligence that they beat the pants off of us, but but there's a kind of intelligence that they can't even get close to. Yeah, well, and they, they're called computers. They compute things they're programmed they compute. to compute right they that's don't, right they that's don't right think. that's right um they don't, so they don't that's what's important to remember it's interesting you say that about um metaphors and analogies because uh i've been going through the gospel of john a lot lately and jesus uses metaphors <laughs> about himself all over the place so a computer sure. couldn't understand when he says i am the light of the world or i am the bread of life things like that no but humans I have no idea yeah, that's interesting. Sure. Yeah, that's fascinating. You know, and I'm not, this isn't just me, by the way. Uh, I quote a guy, a fellow named, a professor named David Eagleton in my book, who's a professor of neuroscience at Stanford, and who happens, by the way, to be the, the technical director for the show Westworld. Oh, yeah. And he says, he says, there's no way. He says, a three, a computer can't do what a three-year-old can do. <laughs> a three-year-old can manipulate his parents. A three-year-old can unload a dishwasher, yeah. and a three-year-old can navigate a room full of complex furniture without running into any of them. These things, and he, this is his word, these are things currently computers stink at. That's his word. <laughs> uh, he says, you know, I mean, it's like, this isn't, but there's this un, but I'll tell you, when I tell this, when atheists hear this, it's very upsetting to them, mm -hmm. because the, uh, really, this is their salvation, uh, that science is going to save them. And so, and I find the atheists get really irritated at this and, oh, yeah. well, get over it. Yeah. Well, would you say that uh, Christianity, and I know we're going to get into uh, the Christian answer <clears throat> of death, but the, the Christian answer, would you say it is a literal immortality project? Yeah, you can call it that. Sure. I'm, I'm okay with that. I mean, it is a literal immortality project in that I really am going to literally live forever, that you and I are literally going to live forever. Uh, uh, I don't like uh, the only reason I don't like the term is I don't like putting it on the same plane as all these others that are completely and utterly false. But okay. but it is it does work as a literal immortality project. But see, everybody's doing something. And so anyway, a lot of people, Whole Foods markets are full of people <laughs> trying to live for a very <laughs> long time, if not forever. Sure. <clears throat> well, OK, so moving from the literal immortality products to the symbolic, right? What's wrong with the symbolic immortality projects? Well, as we mentioned, symbolic immortality is there's having kids, there's writing a book, and no, the irony is not lost on me, but I try to remember the audience of one. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's, you know, I mean, doing a piece of art. For instance, like art, Michelangelo said, I've ne never has a thought been born in me that did not have death engraved upon it. See, in other words, for him, uh, art was an immortality project. The Sistine Chapel, the pyramids are an immortality project. <clears throat> uh, being a celebrity is an immortality project. I'm going to be famous. Uh, and then you've got just the weird immortality projects like, uh, you know, what bizarre ones where I'm just somehow going to get famous for something. And I'll give you uh, the Guinness Book of World Records is full of them. Uh, one of them was, was about a guy that hadn't cut the 
fingernails on his left hand since 1952. Ugh. And this one article writes about him. He lived in India. This one article writes about him and says, but his not cutting his fingernails since 1952 has paid off. It's paid off. He hasn't <laughs> been able to use his left hand since 1952 for anything. But look at me, look at me, look at me. Yeah. And that somehow paid off. And she said, why? Because he's in the Guinness Book of World Records. There's a guy in there. I go through a bunch of these. There's a guy in there that, how many toilet seats can you break with your head in one minute? <laughs> Who in the world? <laughs> right? You're breaking. Come I want to know yeah. what went through his head where he went, you know, this is something I could excel at. Yeah. I can be better. <laughs> I can be better than other people at breaking toilet seats with my head. Oh, man. I mean, there's this guy, the the most Big Macs eaten in one's lifetime, I think last, I, I don't remember the statistic, but I think the last I saw was one, 21,000 Big Macs in his life. Uh, I mean, but see, notice this is all the same thing. It's yeah. look at me, look at me. So I, somehow, because I got to be remembered somehow. Woohoo, I made it into the Guinness Book of World Records. Being a victim, doing so, I'll tell you, so here's the, one of the troubles. It, it takes a lot of work to do something really wonderful. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll tell you what, though, if you can't do something really wonderful, do something really evil, because then you can live on forever symbolically. Uh, I'll give you just a couple examples. The Columbine shooters, mm -hmm. uh, they, they recorded a video before they shot up the school so, discussing whether it was going to be Spielberg or Tarantino that made the movie on their really? lives. I didn't know that. The, the Parkland shooter uh, that down, I think, in what Florida shot up, killed a lot of kids um he did a video the day before saying now you're going to know who i am oh. uh the guy the las vegas shooter who killed 51 people i think and wounded 958 others mm -hmm. his brother was asked about it said why did he do it he says well he always wanted to be the best at everything so i imagine that he would want to have the largest body count of anybody because that would make him the best at anything the guy that shot john lennon mark david chapman said i said straight out i did it to steal some of his fame wow. uh see that's another way you can have symbolic immortality and i give many 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 examples of this but this is a sure. way you can have symbolic immortality that's so and, sad well and, and the the weird thing to me about especially the the um, you know, mass shooting guys, or even the Guinness Book of World Record people, is how difficult is it to be the best at something that nobody's doing? Like, <laughs> like nobody, well, there's not a competition right. for growing your left hand fingernails, right? And the I majority of people in the world aren't going on mass shooting sprees. So Where? it's such a, such a stupid thing to pursue because... It, Really, you're becoming famous not because you're better at something than than a lot of people. It's because you did something nobody else really even cared to do. Yeah, but and 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 a lot of the so the, the social scientists and I'm just going to use that word instead of say psychologists and social. Yeah. Anyway, the social scientists say you know the thing is there's nothing worse. There's nothing more terrible. And the Romans thought this. The ancient Romans thought this. There's nothing more terrible than to die being unrecognized, being unremembered. And so anything. See, but if you can't, if you go, I, I'm never going to be really good at something wonderful. Well, maybe I can become good at something stupid. Yeah. Uh, but at least I'll get, you know, weird piercings, tattoos, uh, people that are having their tongues separated in the middle so they look yeah. like serpent's tongues. <clears throat> this, this, some transgenderism is certainly that way. Uh, see, look at me. I'm transspeciesism for crying yeah. out loud. You've got this one woman who says she's a cat and walks around on all fours. I mean, but see, at least they're noticed, and that's that's their symbolic immortality. Well, so do you think that um, not just the 
inner, you know, God-given um, knowledge that we were meant to outlive our life. That's that's a real thing. I think that we have we have an appetite for eternity. Right. Yes. But, but aside from that, do you, are you thinking that um, egotism and selfishness plays into creating these symbolic oh, yeah. immortality projects? It's it's both converging together. Well, yeah, no, I think that's exactly the cause. It's I need to keep living on mm. somehow. Uh, you know, I mean, Horace, uh, the poet Horace says, I have now done something uh, that is greater, that will be greater and more remembered than the pyramids of Egypt. Mm. Uh, you know, and I kid in my book, I say, you know, if somebody, if you told somebody you were reading Horace, uh, they would probably offer you a, th a throat lozenge uh, more than they would go, oh, yeah, I know who Horace is. Nobody, I mean, not that many people know who Horace is, yeah. but he thought, no, I've done something. He actually said, I've done something greater than the pyramids of Egypt. No, you haven't. Nope, sorry. <laughs> but, 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 you know, the thing, celebrity culture, yeah. people, somehow can I become Kim Kardashian, who's, you know, she's not known for anything but being Kim Kardashian. Yeah. Uh, but. You know, I mean, it, she started with a sex tape coming out. That's how it all yeah. began. But now she's famous and people go, why can't I be famous too? People are dying for the gram, they call it. People are taking dangerous photos of themselves, um, you know, standing in front of an oncoming train, uh, leaning over a cliff or a, the roof of a building. Yeah. And over 200 people have died doing that. They call it, they have a name for it, dying for the gram That's so as uh, an Instagram See, this is just, but none of this is going to work. Let me, by the way, uh, parents aren't going to like this, but if you think you're going to live on through your kids, you're really not. Uh, and, and I'll just, a couple things about that. First of all, after 20 generations, uh, the amount of your DNA, because remember the amount of you, what you brought to the party after, when you have kids, it's only 50% you, sure. when they have kids, it's only 25. After 20 generations, it's 0.50, 0.00004%. Here's the key is there might not be any of you in 20 generations <laughs> because, because because genes move in blocks and sure. some are dominant and some are recessive. In 20 generations, there might be zero of you. But not only, you know, Robbie, I don't think you were there when I did this in class, but I've asked students all the time in every class, I'll say, so how many of you know the names of your great, great grandparents? And I think in every class I've asked altogether, or not, I'm not talking about per class altogether, I don't think more than three people have raised their hands to say they know the first names of their great, great grandparents. And so then I follow up with a question, do you care? <laughs> nobody cares. I mean, nobody <laughs> cares. In fact, the whole class laughs yeah. because nobody cares. Oh, uh, one, one young woman uh, in the class, uh, one 20 something woman said, well, I'm glad I got, they got together. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. But yeah. other than that, See, so this whole, I, I hate to break it to people, but if you think you're going to live on for your kids, you're really not. No. Uh, but you can live on forever in Jesus. Yes. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. You can live on forever in Jesus, but you're not going to live on. None of these things are going to work. You're still going to be dead. And, uh, and nobody's going to really, you just get, people want to be a footnote. By the way, when it comes to celebrities, mm -hmm. interesting fact, uh, the average celebrity dies 13 years younger than the uh, than the average population. 13 really? years younger. Here's the interesting thing: Ma male celebrities die eight and a half years younger, but female celebrities die a whopping 22 and a half years younger than the average population. Whoa. Wow! Whoa. So 
Well, you, you, your symbolic immortality through being a celebrity better be really good because guess what? Uh, you're going to die younger probably than the that average population. Crazy, yeah, that's so sad. But people, <laughs> man, that's what they aspire to be, right? I've got to be right. the celebrity. I've got to acquire this. I often think about people who were, you know, the, had the 15 minutes of fame even when I was in high school or in junior high, and nobody even talks about them now. You know, that's that's 20 years ago, and nobody's talking about who they are. And so even right. even the most famous people in the world don't contain, uh, don't don't keep their fame long term. There's a few, that's right, but not very many. There's very, very few. And, and uh, you know, it's funny, like, uh, if I mentioned actresses that were a big deal in my day, mm -hmm. uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, for instance, a lot of people don't have any, you know, the younger generation, they don't know who Michelle Pfeiffer is. Sure. For instance, uh, Deborah Winger was a really big deal many years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, no, If you say that to this generation, they're going to go, I don't know, who's Deborah Winger? Yeah. I'll give you an even older one, Hedy Lamar. I didn't really know who Hedy Lamar is, but she was a famous actress, dubbed the most famous woman in a uh, most beautiful woman in the world by Metro Mayor of Metro Golden Mayor, dubbed her the most beautiful woman in the world. Wow. She actually is in the Inventors Hall of Fame for creating frequency hopping, which is what your cell phones use. Uh, that's how they work. She invented that. Wow. Uh, but if you say to people, Hey, what about Hedy Lamar? They're going to go, who's Hedy Lamar? Sure. I don't know, yeah, who, I don't know who she is. Yeah. So, be, yeah, that's true. Even people who've done not just beautiful, famous, but also creative and, and still yeah. technology we still use, we don't care about them. That's, that's right. That's so that's, interesting. We don't, we don't care. I mean, it doesn't matter. You know, Marcus Aurelius said, he says, why should we spend a lot of time getting people to remember us when the only thing they're going to be interested in, our future generations are going to be interested in, is getting people to remember them. That's the truth, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's like nobody cares because everybody, what everybody's care, they're so desperate to get some sort of immortal symbolic immortality where they can live on. Yeah. Wow. That's a great statement. What a genius, right? <laughs> <laughs> the the irony of it is we remember that statement. So that's interesting. Yeah, it is. Well, uh, you yeah. know, the thing is there is some sense that, you know, if you do something really amazing, people remember you. But you think about the other the more futility. You're still dead. You're sure. still as dead as a doornail. Yeah. So what does it really and, matter? I mean, you don't have any appreciation of the fact that people are talking about you because you're gone, long yeah. gone. Well, and that that's the interesting thing. Then when it comes to uh, the atheists, right? Because they don't believe in an afterlife. They don't believe in a divine presence. They don't, there's no supernatural. And yet, just like the rest of us, they uh, have this longing for immortality and they create symbolic or literal immortality projects. How do atheists, when you really get down to it, how do they deal with death? And then how do they um, explain this innate need to outlive their own death? Where, where, does, where does that come from? Well, I, I think they all realize, uh, I, I watched and watched as in, I watched them lecture, a lot of them lecture because a lot of what they have to say about death, they don't, they're not writing on it so much. Some of them are, but they're, they're they will lecture on it. Like Sam Harris gave a lecture to 4,000 atheists in Australia, he called it the big think, uh, you know, conference. Um, what Sam Harris did is he led 4,000 people through, uh, um, a live in the present meditation exercise for about eight minutes. I watched really? the whole thing and I timed it about eight minutes. And when he was done, he says, okay, I've just made you all Buddhists. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that. But 
But so atheists engage in what I call mortality mitigation projects. In other words, okay, I know I'm not going to live forever, although I think almost all of them also are engaging in symbolic immortality projects. Okay. Almost all of them. And and I can point to what they say. Like, like they'll they'll tell you, well, well, you know, my kids, I'm going to go on for my kids and so on. Mm -hmm. But then they have these atheist mortality mitigation projects. And uh, here's one of the biggest. You wouldn't want to live forever anyway. That's one of the biggest because eternity would be boring. Uh, and and I go through quite a time in my book debunking that. And it's based, frankly, it's based on eternity. If I was going to live forever in my present state on planet Earth as it is now, uh, I'd still I still uh, I still don't think it's true. I call this I wouldn't want to live forever. Uh, the greatest, the, the biggest example of sour grapes in the history of the cosmos. Uh, <laughs> no, nah, no, nah, I wouldn't want to live forever anyway. It'd be boring. Yeah. You don't, I think that's just dumb. So you wouldn't want to live forever anyway. Uh, then live in the present. That's a big one. In other words, don't think about the fact that you're going to die. Mm-hmm. And that's what Sam Harris was doing with his atheist c- at crowd saying, let's live in the present. Well, what if the present really happens to be horrifying? Sure. What if you, on that pain scale of 1 to 10, have 9.9 pain, and that's the present? Mm-hmm. Boy, I'll tell you something. I've had, when, I had, when I had bone cancer, uh, I was very thankful about the future. I was thankful <laughs> for, one, they're going to take this cancer out of me, which they did, praise God, and yeah. two, if it doesn't work, I'm going to live forever. Wow, I am so thankful that I wasn't lying in a hospital bed in immense pain going, live in the present, live in the present, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, no, I'm in the present because the present was terrible. Uh, but so, you know, uh, you have, then your particles will go on. That is just so desperate. Yeah. But you'd be surprised how many people say, your particles go on. So you go on as dust. Uh, yeah. Arthur Schopenhauer says, oh, he actually took umbrage at somebody saying it's just dust. He says, don't you real? You don't know how important this dust is then. And he gives what I call an ode to dust on the importance of <laughs> dust because dust can be form itself into new things in life. And so now when a lot of people are being buried, they're being they're being buried with like mushroom spores mm-hmm. with the idea that now their life is going to come forth from their dead body. I mean, that's your crazy. particles go on. That's really desperate. By the way, uh, Arthur Schopenhauer uh, was was very intrigued with Hinduism and Buddhism, as was Sam Harris, as I said. And, uh, uh, and Einstein was love Schopenhauer and Einstein actually came out and said you need to realize and only elevated minds and Einstein of course realized he had an elevated advanced mind but only elevated only advanced minds can realize that your individual existence is a delusion your your individual existence is a delusion (laughs) see that again though notice it's very Buddhist but even Einstein embraced it but he said only really 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 advanced people like me can understand that your individual existence is a delusion well that's dumb yeah and uh, I mean uh, yeah anyway but this is and there's a lot more than this but this is the kinds of things that people do uh, atheists do to kind of go it's okay it's okay if I die it's okay you know and I need to die so that others can live there's another one and you know Dawkins came up with this well uh, we should think of all the potential people that never got a chance to exist I mean the trillions upon trillions of people that the sperm and eggs never met and they never got to a chance to exist he says we're the lucky ones and we shouldn't gripe about the fact that we're one day going to 
die. And he says I, that he wants that. I actually read at his funeral. Wait a minute. Uh, the ontology of potential people is this. They don't exist. You cannot <laughs> yeah. say that which doesn't exist is unlucky. <laughs> sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Just, but, but notice, this is just desperate atheist it's, stuff. It's you so know, It's crazy. just desperate. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's, it's either ignore what's coming or put your hope in something so asinine and frivolous that you can kind of get over it and feel better. But it doesn't really take care of the problem at all. I mean, the, the importance of dust, important to who? Like, that's what I always think. Like, that's right. Just feel, you know, be grateful that you're lucky. Grateful to who? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, these, it doesn't make sense it, on an atheist worldview. Anyway, it does. It just doesn't work. And you know, no. by the way, so Alf, uh, Alex Rosenberg, who's an atheist uh, at at Duke University, he wrote a book entitled uh, something to the effect of "The Atheist's Guide to Death." Uh, he this last sentence of his book, the last couple of sentences are: Epicurus was wrong. That's another one. Is your death is important because. You don't have a sensation of suffering. He says, Epicurus is wrong. Realizing the truth about reality is not enough. He says, so here's his last sentence. So what everyone needs to do is you need to start taking Prozac or your favorite serotonin reuptake inhibitor and keep taking them until they kick in. That's the last sentence of his book. In other words, you need to get on drugs and you need to stay on drugs and keep using them because that's the (laughs) only way you're going to be able to face death. Man. Even crazy. atheists realize. Even atheists realize this isn't going to work. This no. is dumb. It's not going to work. No, it's not. Well, and and the the surprising thing to me, like you said, is how arrogant or how noble they make their answers. Like this is true oh. nobility facing a bleak reality of falling into nothingness. That's right. That's, that's real right. bravery. That's right. And you go, it's not. Like that's so sad. Um, and that's where nihilism sad. actually wins out if they're honest with themselves, but they, they can't right. be. Right. Wow. Right. Absolutely. So because of, I mean, not just because of atheism, but, but society at large likes to reject uh, God and even the belief in an afterlife. So not, not with the you know, high-level ivory tower atheists, but how do you think that this rejection of an afterlife uh, or supernatural has really harmed kind of the everyday person? Oh, it's, it's, it's most of their problems. The overwhelming, overwhelming majority of their problems are due to the fact that they've rejected a robust view of eternal life in Jesus. What most people do, the first thing they do is they deny it. That's the first strategy. I'm just going to push it out of my head. The second thing that they do is you can't just deny it. You have to distract yourself because, uh, and that's why computer games, Internet, television is so important because you need to distract yourself. Obviously, you know, the old joke about for the next one minute, don't think about pink elephants, whatever you do. <laughs> yeah. Well, the answer to that, we all know, is you you have to think about blue elephants. That's how you not think about pink ones. Uh, but so you have to distract yourself. And by the way, here's an interesting thing. Uh, the reason people have complained, wow, why do we pay celebrities, sports stars, movie stars, singing stars so much more than we pay teachers or firemen or whatever? The answer to that is actually very simple. Celebrities, movie stars and sports stars and singing stars and whatnot are serving the most important role of uh, important role in our life. They're keeping us distracted from death. 
They're entertaining us so that we don't have to realize that we're going to die. So we yeah. just get our mind off it. So so you waste your money, you waste your life on on social media and television, and people are doing this, of course, nonstop. Then the next thing that happens, of course, this doesn't work. Depression. People go, of course, people are depressed. Uh, I was watching. A lot of people know who. Um, uh, all of a sudden, his name uh, escapes me. Famous psychologist, Canadian psychologist, who is uh, oh anyway. Oh yeah, uh, Peterson. Uh, Peterson, yes. He says, you know, he says, look, he says he's talking to a crowd, and he says, you know, people come to me and they say, why are people so anxious? He says. Why are people anxious? That's a completely ridiculous question. He says, I want to know why people go through states of calm. <laughs> and uh, so of course, you know, if you're going to, if you're just looking at the fact that you're going to die yeah. and you're going to be buried and that weren't, as the old Girl Scout song goes, you know, worms go in, worms go out, worms play pinochle on your snout. If that's your future, wow, well, yeah. of course you're depressed. And then, of course, you're going to use drugs. Yeah. And out, like I say, Alex Rosenberg saying, yeah, we got to use drugs. Suicide, of course, same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, people, people go, well, that seems counterintuitive that if you're afraid of death that you would kill yourself. But as Irving Yalom of Stanford says, he says, suicide allows you to control that which controls you. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, uh, and people, if they never thought they would die, they probably wouldn't even think of suicide. But the fact that they're so afraid of their death, this allows them to have some control over when they die and how they die. Yeah. Um, and, and anarchy uh, is another thing that happens. And we're seeing a lot of these anarchy kind of things going on because why? Uh, if there's no truth, if there's no transcendent truth, then everybody should do whatever they want and you shouldn't get in my way. And if you do, I'm going to stomp you out. Mm -hmm. And, but ultimately if it's futile, uh, because you are going to die. And even, even, even if you do this immortality project and you're, and, and the atheists are right, uh, Bertrand Russell pointed out the entire universe is just going to go to, you know, I mean, it's just going to be a bunch of debris one day. Sure. Uh, our sun is going to supernova and burn our planet to a crisp. And then the entire universe is going to go to 476 degrees below zero. Uh, <laughs> So your immortality project is, I guarantee you, there is no sense that there will be any literal or symbolic immortality projects, period. Except you and I, Robbie, of course, we look to Jesus coming back, and that's the yep. key. No, that's the key. Yeah, it's so interesting that people say they believe that there's nothing out there, there's no life after death, and that, yeah, our whole universe is going to experience you know, heat death. Uh, but yet they build these huge buildings and try to do important pieces of that's art right. and plays. And for what? Like, if you... It's just such an it's such a stupid thing to do. If Christianity's false, if if there is no supernatural, so if all religions are false and if atheism is true, nihilism is it's I wouldn't say it's an answer. It's just the bleak reality, right? But but people can't go there because God made them in his image and they know deep down, no that's not right. Something's something's bad about that because if they really believed it, there's no need for immortality projects. There's no need to try to outlive your death because it's inevitable. It's coming for all of us and there is no significance on, on any platform. I don't know. It's just it's interesting that people. That's right. They're, they're, it That's seems right. like they they think in a, in kind of a, uh, a bipolar mentality, right? They they say this on one right. hand, but they operate on this, and it's because they live in God's actual world where He actually made them in His image. And they rage against it, and that's where you have this right. this two mind thing that that's going on. It's very interesting. That's right. Well, that's why Solomon said, you know, that you've you have placed eternity in our hearts. Mm 
uh, that there is this, I agree with you, Robbie, there is a sense that there, we look for something more than just this earth. Mm-hmm. And as Augustine put it, you know, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Yep. But, uh, you know, so the world's answer is, let's face it, let's, what's the average non-Christian doing? They're buying the biggest big screen TV they can afford and they're drinking their brains out. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's how you deal with it. And, and honestly, yeah. and that's very close to Paul saying, uh, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we will die if the dead are not raised to life. Yep. And that's that's absolutely positively what I would be doing. If I if I thought, you know, we're just going to die and worms are going to eat us, yeah. I'd be going, I'd get a much bigger TV than I now own, <laughs> and I would be drinking my brains out. Yep. I've uh, only got, this is my only the, life. I got to live this is for it, the baby, moment. So yeah. let's just live for pleasure and party on, dudes. Yep, absolutely. And that's what a lot in our society are doing. So... We've talked about like what a lot of people who don't believe in a supernatural are doing to cope with this and how it's affecting them. Let's let's make this a little more personal now. What about Christians? How how is it that many Christians are living for these false immortality projects? These things that aren't what they say they believe and yet we're still building these things in our lives that ultimately won't fulfill or won't outlive us. Well, the trouble is, is and, and this is my biggest heart. In fact, I'm forming a nonprofit entitled Live for Eternity because my whole ministry, and you've known this, Robbie, I mean, I actually started in 1981 and 1982. I'm not sure which. I began to glimpse the glory that awaits us forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, the biggest thing that the average Christian is missing in their data, and I'm not talking about the problem of evil or anything, just the, everything. I'm talking about everything, is they do not have a robust view of eternal life in Jesus. Most do not. Uh, most are out to live the American dream. They're out to have kick great, you know, have get find the great spouse, have great children, uh, send them to the right school, see them get great careers, marry great spouses, have wonderful children, repeat, uh, and their 401k is going to get really big and fat, and they're going to be able to travel the world in their retirement and stop by on holidays to visit with the grandkids. Uh, that's what most. Even most Christians are striving to do that. Uh, But the Lord, that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about us serving him. That's what it's about. Mm -hmm. And and then these Christians that are doing that will say, oh, but then, yes, when I die, I get to go to heaven. (laughs) And see, for these people... Uh, Christian heaven, eternal life is the PS to the Christian life. It's an also ran, it's an also ran doctrine. It's like, yeah, yeah. And then I get, you know, whatever that heaven thing is, I get to go there. That's great. Mm -hmm. But, and now my focus is on this life. The trouble is if you focus on this life, um, you're always going to be disappointed because the Lord did not. And this, I've had Christians get really mad at me for saying this, but Jesus didn't die on the cross to give you an improved lifestyle here. He died on the cross to save you from the wrath of God and to give you eternal life. John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible, ends with, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Yep. Uh, but but that's not, Peter says in 1 Peter 1.13, be self-controlled, and uh, excuse me, uh, be self-controlled and gird up your minds for action so that you can set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Mm. Where should your hope be fully set? You're on on a future event of Jesus giving you his grace and you being welcomed into the kingdom where you will live forever and ever. As you know, Robbie, and I'm big on this, the trouble is a lot of Satan has done some of his best work of making eternal life look like a place you don't want to be. Mm-hmm. And as you know, my white, why does God allow evil book? I've got, you know, I go through six myths about heaven, that heaven is white. We're all going to be angels. It's going to be <laughs> yeah. boring. We're going to, you know, I mean, if anything, by the way, heaven is jewel toned. Read, read Revelation. If you're going to give it a color, it's 
not white. But see, this is what I call extreme makeover metaphysical edition that Satan has simply made. <laughs> he simply made, you know, having a place where you don't want to go. Yeah. Uh, we need to change that. That's why the last two chapters of my book, Immortal, are about eternity mm. and about the fact that you're going to be glorified and what it means for you to have a glorified body that's resurrected, yeah. perfected, uh, resplendent and renowned, you know, I mean, that this is this is your future because Christians Christians have got to get a, a robust be- belief of eternal life in Jesus, a view of it. If you do, then the problems of this world will be a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. By the way, to mention COVID-19, mm-hmm. what this does for people is this. Uh, it cause, it's, uh, unsettles our worldliness, and that's good. And so, my dear Christian brothers and sisters, if you feel threatened by this and you feel threatened by the economy because of what's happened, there's a benefit to that for you spiritually, and it is this. It unsettles your worldliness, and maybe some of you, maybe many of you need to get down and talk to the Lord and say, I'm sorry, because this has revealed how much I love this present world. Mm-hmm. Thank you for doing this. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not saying, hey, don't pray that it ends. Go ahead, do it. Sure. Uh, but but I'm just saying, but it unsettles our worldliness, and what we instead need to do is focus on the eternal life that we have in Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I, I love that, because... Uh, Peter talks about that, and, and I can't remember if it was First Peter or Second Peter, but he talks about how we can't be short-sighted, right? We have to be long-sighted. Right. We have to keep eternity in view because that's what we're living for, and that, on the Christian worldview, is hope, right? <laughs> we're, we have hope in something that we're sure is going to happen, not here and now. In this world, we're going to have problems, and we're going to have viruses spring up, and we're going to have cancer, and Jesus, unless he comes back, is going to let all of us die. That's the truth of the That's matter. Right. And we can either avoid it, or we can look at reality, which includes all of that, but it also includes, and then after our death, we live into the ages with Jesus, with eternal significance right. and purpose and beauty. And I, I right. you know, one of the things that your book, your first book on Why God Allows Evil has influenced me to do with my kids is I talk to them about heaven because I don't want the, you know, the cartoons they watch to paint their picture of the afterlife. (laughs) I want them to understand that heaven is a place (laughs) you want to be. And so we dream up, what do you think we're going to be able to do? What types of activities are going to be there? You know, and they're, they're little. So a lot of their, their um, ideas are, well, I think it's going to be better than Legoland. And I'm saying, yes, it is going to be better than Legoland, you know, but I'm trying to get them to, to um, daydream about how amazing this is going to be. It's not going to be a boring, bland place with harps and diapers and clouds, um, but it's going to be where we always longed to be and even better than we can imagine. But you're right. Christians don't spend enough time thinking about uh, eternity and what we'll be doing and the role that God has for us to play uh, forever. Um, And man, it's exciting when you stop and take a little time to think about it. That's right. And we must do that, uh, because if we don't do that, uh, we're always going to be having problems forever. Uh, and, uh, you know, two th- one, you mentioned about we're all going to die. We are all going to die. But Jesus said something that's worth a little elucidation on. Uh, that's a big word. Uh, let me expand on it anyway. Uh, Jesus said that those who are in him will never taste death. What does he mean by that? We'll never taste death. Because Jesus wasn't living in denial. He knew that our bodies were going to die. So what did he mean? What he meant is, is that your consciousness will never cease. There's not going to be a moment where your consciousness reboots or the screen goes dark and then it comes back on and reboots. You're never going to, it's going to be continuous. You're going to go right into the next world. In fact, I like how Dallas Willard put it. He says, you know, he says, 
it may take us a few minutes to realize we've died. Uh, we may not realize we've died until we look back and see our body in a mangled car or on an operating room yeah. temple table and they're covering us up. Uh, we're that's it's going to be seamless. We're never going to taste that. Our bodies are going to die, but we are not. Our consciousness will never cease. It's going to go straight on through. Yep. Yeah. Well, and that's I, I think that that's been I mean, I'd say even scientifically proven with all these documented near death experiences. That seems to be the case is that people die and then they realize I'm looking at my body <laughs> or that's me in that that's river. Right. Or, yeah, those types. Yeah, of things exactly. Are exactly. True. Yep. That's very. Oh, true. That's me over there. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but see, that's what's going to happen. You're not there's not going to be like you, 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 uh, you know, reboot your computer and the consciousness is off. You're never going to lose that. And we're going to live forever and ever and ever. And, and by the way, heaven is not, we're not going to be singing forever. The Bible does not teach that. We're not going to be sitting on a cloud, strumming a harp, sporting flightless wings. We're not doing that. Uh, in fact, if anything, the, throughout the, in the Old and New Testament, heaven is most often compared to a banquet. Mm-hmm. Now, we're not just going to be banqueting either. But I'm just saying, if you're going to give it something, it, the, the most often comparison is to a banquet. And that's not a bad thing. No, that's a great thing. A party with Jesus? Yeah, a I'm, party. I'm in. A party. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in, too. I'm, I'm going. With a guy who makes really good wine? With a guy yeah, who's made all wine. the best animals to that's eat? Right. Yeah, I think I think that that sounds uh, pretty great. So I, I also think that people have this idea that, um, you know, well, eventually I'll know everything. And that's just not the case at all. We're I never going to exhaust learning. And because no, if that were, we? if that was the case, well, we'd be omniscient, which would be like God, which we we can't achieve that. But it would eventually. Well, I don't know. Do you think God gets bored? He's omniscient. No, Is he bored? I, I, well, here's the funny thing that I like to challenge people to think about. Uh, we call him the Creator. Do you think he's going to stop creating? Mm. I don't think he's going to stop creating. Who knows what kinds of things that he is going to create in the future? I wouldn't. I don't. Well, by the way, I don't agree with the idea that that some hold that we're going to live on this planet Earth. I don't agree with that. I think when the scripture says there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth and the elements will melt with fire, mm-hmm. I think we're going to see an entirely new cosmos, an entirely new realm of existence, and we're going to be able to enjoy that forever. I don't even know what it's going to be like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I, but yeah, of course we're not going to have, have become omniscient. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we're always going to be learning because there's always more to learn. Yeah. And so, yeah, absolutely. Well, that means constant development right that That's which right. is constant a great thing for human beings it's we're, we're continually maturing we're continually achieving That's the right. purposes that he's created for us and that's, that's exciting right. to me what i am now is is nothing compared to what i will be not not as as intrinsically valuable but the things that I'll be doing for the Lord and the purposes I'll have in a billion years will look <clears> extremely different from what I'm, <laughs> what I'm doing now and the yeah. capacities that well, I have right now. It's, it's fantastic to uh, think about. Well, I'm just thankful for the change. That I've, I've now been, I became a Christian at 12, and I've been a Christian for 50 years, so now everybody knows how old I am. But, <laughs> uh, but I'll tell you, I just thank God for being a Christian for 50 years because I'm so different. Mm. Than I was 50 years ago. I'm honestly way different than I was 20 years ago. Mm. And I'm thankful to see God just continuing to move and to change me. And I, you know, and I look forward to learning in the kingdom forever. I, yes. you know, I mean, as, as uh, the psalmist said, David said, in his right hand are pleasures forevermore. I mean, uh, I'm looking forward to see what, what he can bring to us. Yeah. Uh, so that's exciting. 
It is. No, and that's and that's where we have to fix our eyes on is that hope. But you're right. So many people get so myopic and they get so focused on 401ks, immediate pleasures, job situations, and then viruses come and this pandemic is worldwide and it wrecks all of my plans, right? <laughs> and now there's murder hornets. Oh, I saw that in Washington, right? They're like this big. Wow, yeah. I yeah. Mean, but you know, it's like, don't love this present world, nope. you know, my brothers and sisters in Christ, because if you love this present world, you won't love the Father, and then you won't live forever. That's right. Uh, but if you don't, but he says in second, First John 2, but if you don't love this world, you will remain with him forever. You will live forever. So would you say that... The remedy for Christians to stop creating immortality projects is to focus on and, and keep fixed on eternity and what's coming. That's right. That's, uh, yes, exactly. That's exactly correct. That's exactly what we need to do. I encourage everybody to memorize Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Uh, which, okay, I'll quote it. If you've been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Uh, set your mind on things above and not on earthly things, for you've died and your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. See, we need to have these kinds of thoughts running through our mind more than how's my 401k doing? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, that's not sure. that's not what Jesus wants. And that and if you build your identity, if you build your hope on what you cannot lose, then your joy won't be going up and down with the world. Yep. Well, and that's the key. If, yes. Your joy, your peace of mind, your sanity won't be rocked and blown all around when viruses hit or when that's financial right. crisis. And, and sadly, I think crisis like we're going through right now, it really kind of unveils where people's treasure was laid up or where their mind was oh, fixed it does. on. And, oh, it and, does. And Absolutely. It's, it's sad to me. And even even personally, even in myself, you know, I lay in bed and I'm thinking about things and, and worrying and I go, what am I, what am I worried about? Jesus told me what to worry about uh, today, not tomorrow, and to know where I'm going and to keep my eyes fixed on that. Um, and when we keep that mindset, it really does help us I wouldn't say cope, right? Because we're not ignoring what's real, but it, it helps us to actually deal with the, the here and now and the difficulties of this earth, knowing that a better day is coming because we have that worldview. Um, I feel bad for a lot of people who don't have any hope. And these kinds of things, these situations like we're in now, really wreck their life because they don't know what, what to do or who to turn to. And they, they turn to therapy or they turn to drugs or they turn to alcohol or they self-medicate in some way. And it's usually destructive ways that they're self-medicating, yes, which is exactly what the, the enemy wants. So as believers, right. we have to go out with the true message of hope and help people to see how beautiful Jesus is and the salvation that he off offers and what hope we have that's coming in the future based on the guy actually rose from the dead, and he's he's somebody to trust because <laughs> he's proven, he's proven that he can actually do something for our situation. So, well, hey Clay, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hey, if people want to uh, connect with you more online, how can they do that? ClayJones.net. Mm. There you go. Clay well, Jones. What what could be simpler? What, what could be, be yeah, more helpful? ClayJones.net. I mean, right. ClayJones.net. So there. <laughs> Oh, there well, it is. And you do have a series of, of blog posts you've been doing on COVID-19 and the I Christian have. life. And so I'd highly recommend you guys go and you read those, clayjones.net. And then your book, where can they go purchase this? Pretty much everywhere, right? Well, it's it's all over the place. Uh, it's on Amazon, although, you know, it's funny. Here's the book, by the way. Uh, Immortal, How the Fear of Death Drives Us and What We Can Do About It. 
I'll tell you, Amazon though has been they sold out uh, wow. within two days, and uh, so and now I notice that they're actually using a third party to supply the book. But uh, you know it's COVID nineteen times though, and so sure. there's some shipping issues. But anyway, but yeah, it's on Amazon or on ChristianBook.com or whatever. And so, uh, Immortal: How the Fear of Death Drives Us and What We Can Do About It. That is great. Please go pick up that book, read it. Your heart will be encouraged, and it'll give you some insight in how to reach out to your neighbors who don't have the same beliefs as you to see what they're doing and be able to talk with them about that and explain who Jesus is to them. So highly recommend you go claydones.net, get his new book, Immortal. Um, it will it will be a great help to you during this time. I think it's so providential of the Lord how this book came out right now. I think it's good timing. Yeah, yeah I think it's good timing. It is. You've been working on it for a few years, but man, you didn't see this coming. No, <laughs> no. no, I didn't. <laughs> Well, thanks so much for being with us today, Clay. And hey, thank you, our viewers and our listeners, for being here with us on Christ Culture and Coffee. We're really thankful for you. Uh, make sure that if you are watching on YouTube that you subscribe to our channel and you hit that alert uh, bell icon so that whenever we post new videos like this, you can be sure to be informed and notified about what's coming up. Also, if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, there's ways to um, rate us and review us. We'd really appreciate you doing that. It helps us to get more notoriety and get out there to reach more people with the truth of who Jesus is. So thank you so much for being with us today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee, and we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to help us reach more people. 